Welcome to Your Partner in Success Radio, a program that values the potential of knowledge, collaboration, and growth. The show is hosted by Denise Griffiths, who is known as an intensely curious nerd in stilettos. Each Wednesday, she is joined by co-host Ben Gay III, a renowned figure in the sales world. Ben is recognized for introducing The Closers, one of the most popular and powerful sales training materials ever produced. Having been mentored by Dr. Napoleon Hill himself, Ben has gained a wealth of knowledge on sales and life. Throughout the show, Denise and Ben delve into the world of sales, entrepreneurship, and success, exploring Ben's vast experience from guiding and mentoring countless professionals to achieve unparalleled success in their careers. Together, they offer unmatched guidance to listeners seeking success in their professional endeavors. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another exciting episode of Your Partner in Success Radio, The Closer's Inner Circle. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and today my co-host, renowned sales expert Ben Gay III, is here to discuss his groundbreaking book, The Closers Part Two, and share his invaluable insights into the art of closing sales. Listen, we're all in sales, whether we like it or not, or whether we know it or not, we might as well get expert at it. So in The Closers Part Two, Ben dives deep into the world of sales and reveals the secrets to becoming a master closer. And this book is a continuation of his original bestseller, The Closers Part One. It wasn't called Part One in the beginning, but it became that. And it offers even more powerful techniques and strategies that can elevate your sales game to new heights. During our conversations over the next few weeks, Ben is going to share some of the key concepts and principles outlined in both of his books. And we're going to discuss the mindset required to become an exceptional closer the importance of building rapport and trust with your prospects, and the art of handling objections with finesse. That's not always easy. Ask me how I know. So whether you're a seasoned sales professional or just starting your journey, you don't want to miss the wisdom that he has to offer. We will also touch on the power of effective communication, the role of persistence in sales success, and how to create a winning sales presentation that leaves a very lasting impression and Ben's practical advice and proven techniques will equip you with the tools that you need to close more deals and increase your sales revenue. So grab a pen, paper, notebook, whatever it is that you're going to do. Take some notes, and let's dive into this conversation with Ben as we explore the art of closing sales and uncover those really important strategies that can transform your sales career. Ben, good morning. The microphone is all yours. Well, thank you very much, Denise. How are you doing today? I am lovely. I'm always <laughs> lovely. <laughs> I refuse to be anything otherwise. I get a little cranky, but I shake it off within five minutes, and I'm back to lovely. Thanks for asking. How are you? I have, uh, to our listeners, uh, I was raised in the South, and uh, so I fully understand Southern ladies, and I love talking to Denise because she's about as Southern as you can get, gracious and charming, and uh, everything she says, I just hang on. And uh, I love to feed her lines that feed into her southernness. Uh, <laughs> the only thing to watch out for is if she says, bless your bless heart. Bless your heart. <laughs> <laughs> and if I say, bless your little heart, I'm going to tell you right now, that's not good. Go to another zip code. That means yeah. you're too stupid. We can't wash it off. It can't be fixed. Yeah. Go away. I, as a Southerner, I learned when you heard, bless your heart, put on your football helmet um, immediately uh, and run from the room. Uh, we discussed that today we would, uh, discuss, we would talk about a thing called set the table. And this is, uh, for you listening, uh, indirectly taken from the closers part two, Sales Infiltration, which is the last chapter in the book, starts on page 257. If you have your book handy, get it out. If not, because you don't have one, get your books. And uh, somewhere in the uh, podcast, I think it tells you how to do that, how to go to uh, uh, eBay and get special pricing. Yeah, but go ahead. While we're getting 
Yeah, go ahead and tell people where to go right now. I'll ask you again at the end, but I think it's important that they have these books as part of their entrepreneurial library, much as I do. I use them all the time. Uh, Get out your pens, folks, and go to uh, stores, S-T-O-R-E-S dot eBay dot com forward slash Ronzoni Books, all one word, R-O-N-Z-O-N-E-B-O-O-K-S. That's Gigi, my lovely wife's maiden name. And when I married her, I thought she was part of the spaghetti fortune, but unfortunately that didn't work out. It's spelled differently. Her Ronzoni is R-O-N-Z-O-N-E. So uh, if you don't have it now, next time you'll get more out of this because... I'm going to be teaching from the Closers series. Today's, though, is sales infiltration. It, frankly, is the best thing I've ever written about selling. Uh, It runs about 40 pages, and it was inspired writing. I won't tell you what triggered it. It's not terribly important, but uh, something triggered me one day, and everything I've been trying to explain to people because its subtleties came pouring out, and I sat down with a legal pad and didn't look up until uh, I had finished writing both sides, an entire legal pad, both sides of each page, uh, because I had finally figured out, in addition to the techniques of, you know, they said this, you say this, you go here, they, you know, whatever the technical things that you have to learn about selling, which are laid out in great detail in the closers part one. Uh, But I kept thinking, but that isn't really what I do anymore. And it isn't what the sales greats I've known and worked with, or they work for me, Zig Ziglar, uh, Jimmy Rucker, the greatest salesman I ever personally worked with, uh, and so on. It really wasn't what they actually did. They knew all the basics. You could hear it in in their conversations, but the selling was done on a much deeper, more uh, subtle level, and that's what I coined as sales infiltration. Jimmy Rucker was the one who inadvertently taught it to me. I may have told you this before, but Jimmy Rucker was not only the greatest salesman that I ever personally worked with, he was among the worst sales trainers I ever worked with because He didn't really, he couldn't explain what it was he did. He was the original uh, unconscious competent. He he knew what to do and he did it, but he he didn't know why he did it and he couldn't explain it to you. His, His version of training was, well, just watch what I do and do that. And sometimes. Yeah, that doesn't work. Yeah, sometimes it requires a little more explanation than that. But in sales infiltration, we set up this concept. There's, in the world of selling, it's normally viewed as team A, we'll say that's the salesperson, versus team B, that would be the customer or the prospect. In sales infiltration, we show you how to form team C. Team C is made up of you and the prospect working together to solve a mutually agreed upon uh, problem. And uh, if you were where set the table comes from is if you were setting up a card, I'm not a card player, but I've seen enough in the movies to know that when you sit down to play poker, somebody announces what you're going to play, two stud this or five stud this, $50 limit. They set the table. This is how this game is going to work today and they establish that up front so there are no real surprises and if somebody bets more than the limit and they say no no remember the limit is you have permission to correct the person because you said in the beginning and no one objected that that was the limit that's part of setting the table and what the game was going to be is setting the table same thing if you're setting up dinner uh, when you picture that, I like to teach with word pictures. If you're setting the table, you're laying out the spread. This is what we're going to have. We're going to use this plate, that plate, this fork, this spoon, 
etc. And you set it up in advance. You generally don't start setting the table after your guests are seated. So that in addition to setting the table, what you're doing in the poker analogy is setting the rules. Okay, now there's two, we'll, we'll do uh, approach A and approach B and probably uh, C is some combination thereof. It doesn't really make any difference. I, if I'm working on a significant sale, I don't do this if I'm selling a book. Let's say I catch one of the random phone calls that come in and the guy wants a book. Uh, if that's all he really wants, and of course we try and upsell everything, but if that's all he really wants in result, we don't need to establish a whole lot of rules. We just need to take the order like a clerk at Walmart. Uh, what's your name? What's your address? City, state, zip. Uh, you want a priority mail or media mail. Differences about a week in delivery time, et cetera, and we're done. But if it's, uh, Ben, I want you to come in and work all day with my people, that's $12,500 plus hotel and airfare. Or we have a $15,000 package, which I'll, I'll worry about all the incidentals. Uh, either way, you want to play it. Or we'll do a Zoom call, and I'll be available all day, the, the main presentation, uh, and uh, the uh, opportunity for individual people to go over to the side of the room, look in the screen, and ask me their questions. That's a significant sale, and that requires a little more thought than name, address, city, state, phone number. Uh, and for that, I set the rules. Generally, I set them up front, and I'll say something along the lines of, uh, before we get started, let me, let me tell you how I operate, and I think you'll appreciate it and enjoy it a little more. Uh, I will treat you fairly, squarely, decently by the rules. Because I want you to come back. I don't want this to be our first, last, and only phone call. And uh, I want you to return and do business with us for the next 15, 20 years. I have friends currently on my prospect and, and uh, customer list, client list, that go back literally over 50 years that are still doing business because we treated them fairly, squarely, decently by the rules. Uh, I call it straight, straight. That means I'll be straight with you and you be straight with me. Uh, it's a pretty simple concept, but that way we don't have to play games. Uh, if, uh, if when you, we get done, you, like most people, want to be a little hesitant at the end, uh, let me tell you now, don't tell me you have to check with your brother-in-law who's an accountant in Cleveland. You may not have a brother-in-law, he may not live in Cleveland, and he's not an accountant, and you don't have to check with him. So, you know, that type of stuff will save us both time and effort. And if I say anything to you that you question or doubt, stop me right then and ask, because I've found out confused minds don't buy, and I don't want you confused. So... With that in mind, let's go through what we're offering and how I think it can be a benefit to you. And I'm going to be asking you a lot of questions. Fair enough. That's the first time he or she has heard fair enough from me. And what it means is when I was in the Coast Guard uh, and you're pulling in a, a ship, a cutter, and you have the line in your hands and you're pulling it to the dock, on the dock are those funny-looking things or look like a deformed mushroom. They're called stanchions. As you pull in the line, you take a turn around that stanchion with your line so you don't have to give that back. If a wind, if wind comes up and starts to blow the, the cutter out away from the dock, it's not going to go any farther than the line allows it to, and you've taken a turn is the term they use. You've taken a turn. So you don't give up any ground already gained. Same is true in selling. As we go through and I say fair enough to this point or that point, or do you understand? Great. Can we go forward? Yes. Fair enough. Uh, every time you hear that from me, I've just taken a turn uh, with the line. We, we don't have to go back and rehash that. 
and I'll show you in a minute what you do if they if they attempt to go back and rehash it. So you set the table, you establish the rules, you tell them why you're there, and you talk and you talk out loud about stuff instead of them waiting for the other shoe to drop or you waiting for the other shoe to drop. Talk openly about things because you've just established the right to do it. I'll be straight with you. You be straight with me. Fair enough. Uh, That way they don't get down to the end. They're less likely to get down to the end and say, you know, well, I've got to think about it or I really don't have any need for that because you've established that as you went along and you can call them on it. Uh, Bob, uh, I appreciate your concern. But I asked you about that earlier, and, and, you real, and we agreed that it would solve the problem. And uh, if you've changed your mind, tell me exactly how. Be straight with me. So you have a conversation not unlike with a spouse, hopefully, <laughs> or with your kids. Uh, if you have some, you're still bringing along and trying to train uh, how to behave and conduct themselves so that they have less running room to say, you know, let's say you get down to the end and he says, well, I've got to check with my, you know, fill in the blank, brother-in-law or whatever. You now have the right to say, "Ah, well, well, we agreed to be straight, straight with each other. And you promised me you wouldn't do that. I will give you all the information you need to make a decision now. Yes or no, positive or negative. I almost don't care. I would rather have you join us, but I almost don't care. Here's one of the things I've learned being straight with you. Uh, I've learned that I can take a yes and be grateful for it. I can take a no and it doesn't end my life. Uh, But what I can't do is take maybes because maybes are a death knell in selling. I've been spending the next six weeks chasing you around trying to turn the yes into a, the maybe into a yes or a a no or whatever. So if you really don't want the product or service, I got it. Just tell me no and we'll part as friends. But the brother-in-law thing is off the table. The I got to think about it is off the table. Uh, What specific questions have I not covered adequately? And people say to me in training and so on, oh, you you can't be that blunt with the customer. Yes, you can. It's how come I have an 86% closing rate on major sales. I don't count like the individual book orders we were talking about a minute ago. That's order taking. But when when you're trying to turn a book order into a seminar date and 200 copies of the book shipped in advance uh, and a continuing uh, coaching or mentoring relationship at $300 an hour, that requires some closing and selling and proper explanations. And I've just found it saves so much time to get it out in front. I was working one day with Zig. Uh, Zig, if you're new to selling, Zig Ziglar was one of the greats and a great sales trainer and speaker. Uh, we joined a company called Holiday Magic Cosmetics in the same meeting on the same day, obviously, in Atlanta, Georgia, Wednesday, September 15th, 1965, at noon, at 1447 West Peachtree Street, Suite 300 in Atlanta, in case you think it didn't make an impact on me. that That's when we got started. And I used to love to watch Zig work. He frankly wasn't as good a salesman or a closer as Jimmy Rucker was, but he was so gracious and charming and could be disarming one day and after an opportunity meeting where the business was explained and it was time to sort of put up and shut up. This guy said to him, there was a couple as best I recall, but the guy said to him, well, I don't think uh, this uh, really suits us. And I thought, I wonder how Ziggy's going to overcome this. And it was said in such a manner that it looked like sort of the end of the conversation. Well, now we could get into a debate about you should never give up and you ought to do a triple down, turn around, back door, close, and so on. Zig stood up, straightened up his coat, shook his hand, the guy's hand, and nodded to the lady and said, well, listen, 
I really appreciate you coming. I wish you nothing but the best, but I've got to get on to some of these people who are serious about this business. Have a great evening. And he started to walk away from the table, and the guy said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I was just, and I'm paraphrasing, but the gist of it was, I was just putting up resistance to get a better deal. And Zig said, like I told you, in the beginning, I'll give you the only deal, which is the better deal, up front, and I already did. So we're really down to a yes or a no. And neither one uh, is offensive or bothers me. Do you want to go forward or not? And the guy said, well, yes, yes, we want to go forward, and got out his checkbook. Now, people said, well, that's a double-down, takeaway close. It really wasn't. It was Zig being honest. He had other prospects in the room, and rather than fiddle around with this guy for 15 or 20 minutes and maybe have some of the other people go home, uh, while he was doing that, he wanted to get to the people who weren't so negative. In, I don't know what they do now, but in the old days, in my early part of sales training, we used to work with magazine subscription salespeople. And their ratio was, because they had pretty good scripts, one out of ten people would buy without resistance. You know, hi, I'm with Time Magazine and our special days, whatever. And one out of ten people say, oh, yeah, I've been mean to get that. Sign me up. And nine would give you static. Well, the nine, any one or two or three of the nine giving you static or hesitating or whatever were eating up the time it was going to take you to get to the next person, one of 10, who would buy without any resistance. So you say, uh, you know, Time Magazine, blah, 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 price is so-and-so. Can we start your subscription? And the guy says, well, I don't know about that. And they'd hang up, <laughs> literally hang up on the prospect. One out of 10 would buy with no resistance. Find the one out of 10. It's like my brother-in-law, who's an excellent trout fly fisherman. I asked him one day, what was his secret? He said, I go where the trout are. We all have the same poles and lines and and flies, but I find my odds go up if I go where the trout are. Zig that night was going to go where the trout was, were, and if the, unless the guy quickly identified himself as, hello, I'm really a trout, let me in, he was gone. Uh, it's one of the advantages of group closing, which Denise will discuss on another day. I was ruined in selling for the first few years because we did group closes. You got up in front of a group, gave the whole presentation, then said, turn to the person who brought you here and that, just help them. Uh, help have them help you fill out the forms. So you close from the front of the room. So I was used to biggest group. Uh, I, I've influenced lots of sales with groups of 15, 20,000 people. But the biggest group I ever closed from the front of the room and they went right to filling out paperwork, not milling around, was 5,000 people at the Park Sheridan Hotel in New York in the Grand Ballroom. So I really developed a problem with wasting a whole lot of time with one person. Uh, so I, I developed a system that turned where I could handle one like I handled groups. In groups, you don't have time for a whole lot of individual questions. In fact, the format almost forbades it, uh, if that's a word. I think it is. Uh, so uh, it, it's like in in-home selling, uh, Kirby vacuum cleaner, I've done work with them. I don't know if they still do this or not, but they used to be proud of saying to their trainees, the sale is not closed or over until you have payment in your pocket or the police have been called. Well, as we mentioned earlier, I'm a Southern gentleman. Uh, raised in the South, you don't have to, you don't have to threaten me or do anything strange or call the police to get me out of your house. Uh, I, I conduct myself in such a manner that I'm generally welcome in your house, and you're glad I'm there, and I'm having a good time, and you're having a good time, and the dogs and I love each other, and the kids are starting to call me Uncle Ben. So, I had to find out a way not to be asked to leave. So most of my selling is preemptive. 
I set the table in advance. By preemptive, I mean I'm rarely surprised. And of the 14% who don't buy on major ticket sales where my closing rate is 86%, I can honestly tell you, and this isn't a justification because I dig a little deeper if necessary with them, the 14% who don't buy, the vast majority of them just don't have the money. Uh, the We've talked the about that, right? We've talked about yeah. that before, and that's important. I mean, you need to yeah, figure it's a, out, it's a can they purchase from you, or is it something that maybe they want it so bad that they'll find it but down the road? These are all distinctions. Yeah, I found that sufficiently inspired just about anybody can get just about any amount of money. The uh, day I joined, Jimmy Rucker and I and, and Zig joined Holiday Magic, we pulled into the Trust Company of Georgia building. That's where uh, our sponsor, Bill Dempsey, had his office. And I didn't notice on the way in that you had to have your ticket validated or on the way out, the, the, uh, the fee was $3 for being there, which oddly enough was $3 more than I had on me. So we went to the meeting, agreed to join. Rucker wrote him a check for $91.41 and told him not to cash it till Friday when he got paid by my father. And uh, that, was his, that was his contribution, $91.41. Then we go downstairs, take the elevator down, get in our car, come around, and there's a guy in a ticket booth with his hand out. Uh, and it dawned on me, he wants money. We don't have any money. And, and I, I doubt he would take a check and hold it till Friday. So I, he was to my left. I looked to my right, sincerely concentrating on the brick wall that was there and drove past his outstretched hand and uh, went up the ramp and sort of landed in, in uh, Peachtree Street, West Peachtree Street. I'm surprised the hubcaps didn't come off. When we hit, it was like a Bonnie and Clyde type movie. We didn't have any money. But uh, because we were sufficiently inspired, Rucker covered the check as a Friday. We went right to the bank with his check. And I was married. He wasn't. So I told him he, he could afford to pay it. I, I had to support my wife. So uh, we each got our checks, and his went directly to Holiday Magic. Uh, and then, because the program had been explained to us uh, thoroughly and properly, and we were sufficiently inspired, we figured out that to really get where we could even start making money was $2,500. That's $25,000 adjusted for inflation to today. Well, that was exactly $2,500 more than we had. And, uh, and, and I had to feed Rucker at our house, for at our apartment for a week or so to catch back up with the 9141 check you had written. And then we figured out the real money was made as a, in a, as a general distributor, and that took another 2500 That's another 25000 So we now had – we didn't have enough money to get out of the parking lot. Uh, we didn't uh, – uh, have we had to have them hold the check to Friday for $91.41. But 10 days later, we gave them a check for five, a cashier's check for $5,000, $50,000 in today's money. Oh, boy, how we did it. But the, no, no. Bore me. I need sold. to know. Well, Jimmy Rucker had a 57 Chevrolet and the pride of his life. And in 1965, when this was, uh, we discovered that roughly we could get 2500 for the Chevrolet. And to this day, I talked to Jimmy 10 days ago. To this day, I've never talked to him. We're selling his 57 Chevrolet didn't come up. He's, oh. still, he's still bitter <laughs> after all oh, these years. Yeah. <laughs> and the other 2500 we took in a third partner named Cliff Beeks. We got him to get a second mortgage on his home, much to his wife's chagrin, and that was 2500 So within 10 days, two broke people who couldn't get the car out of a parking lot had put up $5,000 cash. 
sufficiently inspired. Just about anybody can get it just about any amount of money. So uh, they may or may not have the money. It may be a condition, not an objection. But depending on the product or service, is only a, a certain amount of time I'm willing to spend on it. I'll take the 86% and run uh, happily in most cases. But then you, you drip market. That wasn't the term back then, but now you drip market. You stay in touch. The only way you can get off my mailing list and or email list and or contact list is to have a surviving relative produce a certified copy of your death certificate. Short <laughs> of that, I assume that someday, somehow, something might change. And when that change comes, here I am. I set the table. I established the rules. I treated you fairly, squarely, decently by the rules. I only sell quality products that are competitively priced, and I try and spend my time talking to people qualified to buy them. And then if I'm just starting out in a business or starting out in a career, I did this. I came early. I stayed late on weekends. I, if your closing rate was 90% and mine was 86% and it wasn't in those days, I would still beat you. I, run, I won a national year-long sales contest and won the mystery prize, which was presidency of the company at age 25. <laughs> sort of a frightening concept for a company who was quickly taking in a million dollars a day. But the reason was I outworked everybody. Zig came in second in that contest and won a Rolls Royce. I won presidency I of the company. Yeah, uh, I would have the, taken the Rolls Royce, but the, yeah, yeah, the presidency uh, looking, of the company Looking back, I like should have. <laughs> but, but this is I, how you, you connected with and worked with Dr. Napoleon Hill. So it's a terrific story. Thank you. But the difference between my sale and Jimmy's and my sale – a volume and Zig Ziglar's sales volume and his partner, Melanius, there were two of them and two of us. The difference was the amount we sold in the last opportunity meeting we held that year or, you know, 12 months contest uh, didn't end on December 31st. The amount that we sold in that last opportunity meeting while Zig was having a victory party in Columbia, South Carolina. I found out later when I got to the company and had access to all the records. I'm making up numbers, but let's say we won by $5,000 over a year. That $5,000 is what we sold the last night of the contest while Zig was having his victory party. So I'll come early, stay late, work on weekends, outwork you all the time trying to get my closing ratio higher and higher. And the way I do that is... uh, what we've just been talking about, sales infiltration, set the table. And here's the magic close. I've told you this before and your listeners, but I'll probably tell you 800 more times uh, over time uh, because it is the magic close if you set everything properly, if you set the table, if you establish the conditions, the rules and regulations. At the end, I say, Bob, Based on what we've discussed, here's what I suggest we do. And I want to emphasize that, Bob. Based on what we've discussed, okay, we've been over this. In other words, here's what I suggest we do. We're now on Team C. And on Team C, uh, when it comes to selling and business opportunities or whatever we're talking about at the time, I'm the resident expert. So I have at least a 50-50 vote and usually a little over half vote. But then we come together. And then after I say that, here's what I suggest we do, fill in the blank, get the big one, the little one, the green one, the red one, the big, you know, whatever, whatever the product or service is. Pause. Fair enough. And they've heard they've been conditioned. Fair enough. They've heard it 15 times since we sat down. And they trust you. Right. They trust you at this point. And they trust me. And people buy. I'm glad you said that. Let me give you one last little jewel before we get off this subject, plus or minus any questions you have. People buy. Here's a term I coined years ago. And 
recently added to because of something a friend of mine told me one day, and I said, that's good. I wish I'd known that 50 years ago when I made up this. People buy, like to do business with, people that they know, like, trust, and with whom they feel safe. If you fill those four categories, you're home free. And I got lots of people who know, like, and trust me and feel safe with me because I've been at this a long time. But it didn't take 20, 30, 40, 50 years to establish that. You can establish that atmosphere and relationship in minutes. You can. In minutes. And I have done. Denise. Yep, we did. And I do it with my my potential website clients. It's Listen, and I'm not bragging. Well, I kind of am because I'm proud of it. I'll be, I'm humble too. Did you notice? But you know, I'll be talking with a potential client, and normally they come to me as a warm client. Anyway, they've been referred. They know what they're, who they're talking to, and what they're talking about. But I've had this happen many times where you know I think I'm halfway through what they need, what I need from them if we're going to work together, and they say, "Just tell me how to pay you." Really, happens a lot. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. In fact, it happened last week. I picked up a brand new website. That was a 20-minute conversation, and they they hit my Stripe account, and I was paid. I was like, huh, I like this. But we get along beautifully. They came as a very warm potential client, and I have what they need. And I was able to convey to them that what they need is this, 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 and this, and probably this. And they're like, how do we pay you? Seriously, how do we pay you? Don't you love that phrase? I do. <laughs> really, really do. It's gotten more crafty and subtle now. When I was coming up and selling, uh, the, the giveaway was when they reached for their checkbook in their suit pocket or the lady reached down on the floor and picked up her purse. Right. Because cause this was before American Express and Diners Club and Master, you know, uh, they were rare. You had store accounts. If you shopped at Macy's, you had a Macy's card, and they wrote up your order, put it in a little pneumatic tube, and fired it up to the fourth floor for approval, and then it would come <laughs> flying back down. But first, they had to reach inside their coat pocket for their checkbook and or reach into their purse. I may have told you this. I have a tendency to repeat favorite stories, but that, you, that reminds me of the time in an opportunity meeting, Jimmy Rucker was working with somebody, and they were foolish enough to resist him a little bit. I, my theory with Rucker was if, if Rucker comes over to sit down and talk to you, just get out your checkbook. The game's over. <laughs> we didn't keep track of closing ratios in those days, but it was higher than mine. And uh, so anyway, we went through the presentation, drew the circles and said, which position best suits your need? And the guy says, well, we want to be uh, uh, general distributors. And, and how much is that? And Rutgers, that's $5,000, 50000 today. That's $5,000. And the guy says, God. Uh, all right, well, we're in, but I forgot to bring my checkbook. And Rucker stood up. I thought he was about to shake his hand and leave. Leaned over the table, reached into his suit jacket pocket, and pulled out his checkbook. He said, no, you didn't. Here it is. <laughs> You've told me this story, and I crack up. Every, it's fresh every single yeah. time because I, in my head I can see it. Would I and do he it? Wrote the I not, but it's amazing. And it's the attitude. It may not be over a table and into a pocket anymore, but it's it's the attitude. Uh, I assume uh, I like to write things down. Literally, not everything in my life is computer. And uh, frequently, while you think I'm about to ask a closing question uh, and try and close the sale, I've already started writing up the order. Because I feel, Denise, honest to God, I feel an atmospheric pressure change when a person makes a buying decision. Whether they know they made it, whether they know that I know, 
isn't important. I feel literally like you're sitting in a room and the door is shut behind you and somebody opens the door. You don't hear it necessarily, but you can feel the atmospheric pressure change in the room. You know the door's been opened. That's the way I feel in most selling situations. So when they decide to buy, I've already written everything that I need other than their credit card or their whatever we're going to do, method of payment or whatever. I've already written it down because I, I knew they bought 10 minutes before they did. I was training the guy in the school. And you didn't. I see this a lot. We've talked about this a bit. I've known people who thought they were just the best salesperson in the world. And I've watched two or three of these people in my life just talk themselves out of it because, look, when people's eyes are rolling back, shut up. Seriously. <laughs> You've lost the sale. It's over. Jay Douglas Edwards used to say most salespeople spend, I'm making up numbers, but whatever it was, spend 90% of their, uh, 10% of their time selling and 90% buying it back. Exactly. And I've seen it and I'm like, and you think you're a salesperson? I can do a better job than that. But on the other side of the coin, and I know you wanted to tell a story, but don't let me forget this. The other side is, and I'm sure that you've had this happen, when somebody just is not a good fit for you, with me as you know, teaching people how to podcast and you know, building websites and social media for them, I can tell pretty quickly, very quickly, that either I'm not going to like you very much or whatever kind of business you're in, it's just not going to be, I can't get passionate about it. But, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and I'm not going to talk you into saying, well, here's my Stripe account, (laughs) head on over there. I'm going to say, you know, I just don't know that I'm the best fit for you, but I think I know somebody who is. And I will introduce you to people until you find someone. I'm not going to take the sale because we'll both be miserable. Excellent. That's uh, and if you can do it politely, so you don't burn a bridge, fine. Oh, I do. I, I, I do. Yeah, I burned a few bridges from time to time. One guy was trying to join my mentoring program, and uh, I only have thirty, thirty-five slots. It's not set in stone, but whether I have active talkers in the list eats up time, so I cut off the list till somebody retires or dies or whatever. And then it opens back up again. But this guy was, you know, I, I said in so many words, well, when we have an opening, he, he said, well, I thought we had an opening. That's the reason we had this conversation. I said, well, uh, things happen. And, you know, I did a little quick dance and, and he didn't buy it. And he said, I really want to join the program. I get the feeling you're not let, you're not going to let me join. I said, you got you, your senses are right. You have good instincts trust your gut. He said, why not? I said, I don't like you. I did the same thing, Ben, once. In the 15 years that I have done this program, I've only had, I mean, I, I'm pretty clear on what my expectations are, what I want to, you know, get from you, how you how you communicate with my audience. And this was years ago, but I had this one female who nagged, I made the mistake of giving her my private email address, which isn't posted anywhere but people are finding it anyway i might have to change it but she nagged the bejeebers out of me i want to come on your show i want to come on your show this is what i want to do basically she wanted and she was clear about it then she wanted to use me as her billboard it was all about her all about what was going on blah 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 and i kept saying no i'm sorry you're not a good fit for the show so finally she called my toll-free number and i called her back and she said I just want you to tell me why I can't come on your show. I said, because I don't like you. She left me me alone after that. But the thing is, I'm going to be on the phone with you for 60 minutes. We better have something in common. At least a mutual liking is helpful. Yeah, with the mentoring program, it's a minimum of 10 hours, and then they put more money in most of the time to continue on to spend 10 hours with somebody I can't stand is just not something I'm willing to do. (laughs) Exactly. And it doesn't help anybody. It really doesn't. So, you know, and I've had people say, well, yeah, but I need the money. 
do you need it to give your psychiatrist when this is all done? Because you're going to need some some help, you know, health professionals helping you out or a divorce attorney. It will drive everybody around you bat crazy. Don't do it. Totally agree with you. And uh, I'm not looking for opportunities to do that. My job is to sell stuff. Yeah. Uh, Or help you find where you need to be anyway. Yeah, but uh, I've been in enough situations it didn't work out where I can smell them. Uh, Literally, I, I, you know, and I'll usually flash back to a situation that was very similar to that one. And, you know, do I want to go through that again? No, thank you. And invariably, it's the person who spends the least money or is going to spend. I've discovered over the years I rarely let them in the gate anymore unless I've made a mistake. But the person who's going to spend the least money is the most problem. I have a client who is a billionaire, spelled with a B. And when I present, uh, he is told his executive assistant, secretary, whatever you want to call her, she runs the business. Whatever Ben wants, give it to him. So you go out with a significant, I did this literally, we'd forgotten to mail or it wasn't ready or whatever, an invoice to her for a significant, to him, for a significant amount of money. And so when we were done, I laid it on the table and he said, take it to her. I'm not going to rat her out by name, but he said, take it to her. So I went out, she looked at it, said, easy peasy, punched a button and up came a check for that amount because they spend invest a lot of money with me but we have a lady in Birmingham Alabama I believe it is who's trying to return a book we have a no questions asked lifetime money back guarantee but we think it's a good idea if we get the book back Uh, and uh, if it looks like it was bought at a garage sale perhaps proof that you got it from us and at what price but other than that we guarantee everything she, long story short, Amazon tracked it down, took it to her post office. I'll give her credit for that. I didn't think she had done that and dropped it off without postage. <laughs> so it's, sit, it's sitting in her local post office, and she's told, so I've heard about it because it's been a conversation around the office, which I think is, has been, a, it's like watching a soap opera. She said she's not going on a treasure hunt to the post office, and she was told, they have the book. You didn't put postage on it. Go down and put postage on it. They'll return it. We'll send you your money back. Oh, no. You th- my time is valuable. <laughs> so that okay. one is become, She's allowed herself <laughs> to become our toy. She's being <laughs> batted around by different people every day. Bless uh, her they, heart. Yeah, but $70,000, easy peasy, hit the print button is nothing that's the that's how come he's a billionaire and she doesn't need the book anymore probably because she dropped out of selling as it arrived that's one of the things with selling sales books i like to ship them the day they're ordered to get there before they quit because the the turnover rate is so high and i always think when we're mailing a book to many people, it's a lifesaver. This could save your career. Get it. Ordering it was wonderful. We shipped quick. Now you have it. Read it. I was complimenting Dr. Hill one day, Dr. Napoleon Hill. He was in our home, saw a copy of Thinking Grow Rich lying on the, uh, laying on the coffee table where my wife had placed it to impress him. It was sort of embarrassing. But uh, trying to work my way through that. I think it's sweet. <laughs> it was sweet on her part. She just didn't know he'd been at this for many years. <laughs> this wasn't the first time somebody put a copy of Thinking Grow Rich on the front edge of their desk when he came in to talk to them, like they read it <laughs> every morning. So anyway, said, it would have to yeah. be dog ear. You have to take it and scrape it along the concrete floor. Break the yeah. sign, you know, put some cards in it. So it's like, okay, I'm on page 257. I mean, if you're going to, yeah, well, that, back then I don't think they had them. <laughs> well, they may have, I don't know. But if you're going to try to fake somebody out, at least give it some thought. Yeah. Well, he said, I said, oh, look, Dr. Hill, a copy of Thinking Grow Rich. You know, 
how interesting. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm looking around trying to find her, uh, and I think she'd realized her mistake and disappeared into the kitchen. But I said, how does it feel to have sold, uh, written a book that has sold millions of copies? They used to say second only to the Bible. And uh, he said, most uh, best-selling, least read. So if you're if you're listening to this and you want to get some of the closers books and so on, I recommend it highly. But if you get them, read them, get out your highlighter pen and mark them up, uh, underline things, write in the margins, make a mess, and it doesn't ruin your guarantee. I've, uh, over the years, I think we literally have only had two, three, four legitimate returns. And a couple of them look like they've been put through the ringer. Maybe they just retired. I don't know. But that doesn't affect the value, the return value of the book. I would be flattered to see a book you had marked up and underlined and everything. Because most people or many people get the right material, but they don't read it and they don't apply it. And that's really important. Uh, working with Dr. Hill, people have asked me, you know, what, one lady in particular in a seminar in Las Vegas said, what are the three most important things he, uh, Dr. Hill taught you? And I said, not having three on my mind, I had 500 on my mind, but picked three without warning. Uh, I, I said, uh, looked up at the heavens and said, Jesus, help me here, you know, make something come out. I said, integrity in all things focus, whatever you're doing at the time, focus. I'm easily distracted if left to my own devices. I'm the shiny object guy. And action, take action, which, by the way, is the, the secret message everybody's reading Think and Grow Rich, looking for the secret and developing whole companies around. They read the book, and here's their impression. Right. The, the secret was action doctor that's out of dr hill's mouth take action and, and the other thing that's sort of interesting about thinking grow rich is uh he said people think of it as a book of philosophy i wrote it as a sales training book i didn't know that i should yeah. have yeah. well you would have to sort of figure it out but his idea was if you could solve communication problems and problem solving and so on, all of that applied directly to the problems most people have in selling. So he said it was a sales training book. That's how I wrote it. And the fact people have skewed it and twisted it to their own uh, needs and so on, wonderful. I'm, I'm happy with that. But it was a sales training book, and the deep secret everybody's looking for is take action. That was it. Well, listen, when you sent me these books, you sh- I've had them for years now. You sent me these, and then you sent another one that is also in my entrepreneurial library. Look, I couldn't get that package open quick enough. I knew what it was, and I sat down in the middle of the floor. I didn't even make it back to the living room. I have an open concept house. You open the front door, you can see all of the back end of the house. You can look all the way out to the trees. It's an open concept I didn't make it out of my foyer. I just plopped my butt right down there. I ripped open that package and I started reading. And the only reason I had to get up was because I didn't have a pen with me. I did not think this over before I opened that door. So I had to you know, <laughs> crawl to my feet, run to my office, grab some markers. Then this time I actually made it to the, the couch. But for about two or three days, if I picked up anything, and you know me, I'm a voracious reader, I picked up the closers. And I marked them. I dog-eared them. You know, they're, they're kind of messy. I don't care. I know where that's, everything that's is fine. right yeah. now. You know, I know where I need to go. I, you know, I can see what's been, you know, and I hate doing this, but, you know, where the pages have been turned down. This is really one of the biggest parts of my entrepreneurial library. And as you know, I've interviewed over 700 people in, in this journey that I'm on. And hundreds of them have gifted me with their books. I probably have four or 500 books in here. Every single one was a gift. Every single one. And I've read all of them. Or 
I'm not putting words in your mouth, or read far enough to know that reading the rest of it wasn't necessary. I gave away a few years ago 5,000 books to the local library, and Gigi has informed me that it's about ready to give them another 5,000. Uh, people said, have you read all these? And I said, well, I read almost constantly. I have five reading stacks, and I read whatever's the top book in that stack. Uh, in the car, in the bathroom, beside my bed, in each of my two workplaces, two desks, and so on. I'm always within arm's reach of 40 or 50 books that I'm in the process of reading or whatever. And with that amount of input, and people send me review copies when they write a book. Yeah, I get those too. Yeah, so I get four or five new books most business days, three, let's say, if I had to prove it in court three new books a day. Um, so I have had to learn the delicate art of reading, and I'm a speed reader, thanks to Evelyn Woods, um, but I've had to learn the delicate art of finding out if this is worth reading. But even that can be tricky. I read, I bought, and attempted to read uh, of Jimmy Carter's memoirs. And I won't get into politics, but I'm from Georgia. I knew, I've known Jimmy Carter, known of him and knew him for years. So I really wasn't looking forward to reading the memoirs of Jimmy Carter. And the book pretty much lived up to my expectations. But as I was getting ready to put it aside or stick in the bookcase and pretend like I was going to read the rest of it someday, uh, a sentence caught my eye, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, I was sitting in the plains. It was, when did he become a good Christian or a Christian at all, but I think a good Christian, and turn his life around? Uh, he said, I was sitting in the plains, Georgia, Baptist Church, when the minister said, if you were arrested today and charged with being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And I thought, oh. whoa, <laughs> yeah. that's strong. So I, I, having read most of the book, there's the sentence I took away that made the effort worthwhile, and I twisted it in seminars. I frequently say, if you were arrested today and charged with being successful, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And every time I say that out loud, I think, Thank you, Jimmy. I didn't get much out, much else from you, but I appreciate that. I've always thought he was a very nice man. Terrible president, but a very nice man. I, I think far more of him, unfortunately, as you know, he's lying at home in hospice care about to pass away. But uh, I have thought far more of him uh, in his work after the presidency. I think he oh, finally yeah. finally found his footing and was doing what maybe he should have been doing all along. He would have made an excellent minister, a preacher, and had the southern accent and the charm and the, the looks and, and everything. So, He's a uh, hard-working he, man, very hard-working yeah. and humble. But, the, but, yeah, I agree with you. After he the, started, you know, with the, the building of the homes, that's when I started paying attention to him. What is the Habitat for Humanity? Habitat for Humanity, that's right. Ben, we're just about out of time. Tell people again where they can find the closers, one and two, and anything else. You've got a lot of other stuff, but for the purposes of this podcast right now, we're talking about one and two. So tell people where they can find those and tell them where they can locate you. And next week, I want to talk about your mentoring program, at, at least some of those the time we need to talk about your mentoring program. Super. Uh, you can reach me. The best way to reach me, I don't like treasure hunts, looking through text from 14 different sources, is an email. An email is goes to B, as in Ben, F as in Frank, G as in Gay, the numeral three stands for Benjamin Franklin Gay the third, BFG3 at directcon, D-I-R-E. C-T-C-O-N dot net, short for direct connect, but it's direct, directcon.net. And then, again, 
where you can get uh, the closers material that we'll be talking about as long as we're doing this together uh, that you can get with special pricing and free shipping at stores.ebay.com forward slash Ronzoni Books, R-O-N-Z-O-N-E-B-O-O-K-S. Everything we sell comes with an unconditional lifetime money-back guarantee, and I will sign and date every order that we get. That's part of the deal also. Excellent. Well, listen, everybody, be sure to get in touch with us to ask questions. We, you know, we really are doing our best to incorporate a question and answer segment at least each week or every other week. People have questions. They have questions for Ben about sales. They have questions for me about social media and, more importantly these days, podcasting. It's a massively growing industry, and I'm here to help. So get in touch with us. We're easy to find. I'm you know, Denise Griffiths. You can find me all over the Internet. Honestly, you can't throw a stick on the Internet without hitting me and this podcast, your partner in Success Radio. I'm on LinkedIn. Ben's on LinkedIn. We're everywhere. So just find us. You know, connect with us on social. Ask questions. We really do want to hear from you, and go get the closures books. So, Ben, thank you. It's been fascinating. I took notes because every time I think I've learned everything I can learn from you, I know, you know I'm, I'm taking it back right now. I learned something new, so I have to take notes. I will see you next week. Thank you, Denise. Enjoyed it. Thanks. Talk to you later. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab. 